0: Welcome to Music Defender, a podcast devoted to the maligned, misunderstood, and misinterpreted music of our lives, the records and artists who didn't get a fair shake or, sadly, people love to hate. Join us each week as we defend these gems from the tides of history and set the record straight.
1: so music defender we're back we've had a little a little bit of a break but we're back now and we're going to talk about an album and a band uh that i personally am a huge huge fan of i think uh, i like to play a game sometimes when i'm out drinking with friends which is basically like what is the american equivalent of the beatles right so what's a band that is from the United States. That has a just a stacked killer discography. That was hugely influential. Is very specific to their home country. And there's you know there's a lot of great bands from the United States. Especially if you open it up to, you know, singer songwriters that had bands like Dylan or Prince or Springsteen. But it's the Eagles, right? <laughs> that's the thing. There's not as many great bands from the U.S. as you would think. I mean, you know, you can go deep on some, but you know parliament funkadelic i mean there there's there's definitely a lot of great but there's not as many and and definitely not as many as you know the 1960s 1970s uh england uh, british invasion era but uh, you know people have all kinds of different answers and for me it always comes back to the beach boys that's always my answer i think the beach boys are probably the greatest band that this country has ever produced and usually people you know mock me for that and they don't understand what i'm talking about and you know because that's one of the things about the Beach Boys and why it's so important that we discuss them today is that the Beach Boys, you know, they're they a hugely influential band. They've sold over 100 million records, one of the highest-selling bands in history. Um, they've influenced, like, countless, countless bands. Um, they were a very radical band, very experimental band, which is kind of the crux of my, of my argument here today. Um, but most people know them for... There's two things. There's surf songs.
2: Let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how. Come on a safari so with me.
1: and fucking kokomo right Aruba,
3: Jamaica, will i want to take you from you to phama come on, mama tirago montego baby why don't we go
0: to make a little dirty
1: there's a place called... uh which is a shame because I'm, I love the surf era, right? The first, you know, six, seven years of their history was the kind of the surf era, right? When they started, they were, I mean, they they were a radical band from the, from the jump, really. They were a garage band, you know, formed in California, three, three brothers, the Wilson brothers, Brian, uh, Dennis and Carl, uh, their friend Al Jardine and their cousin, Mike Love, right? They formed, they were basically a garage band and they were influenced by a lot of kind of disparate uh, bands, which made them different, right? Bands like the Ventures, uh, you know, great instrumental bands. uh, They were influenced by R&B, which wasn't as common in white bands at the time. And then bands like the Four Freshmen, which were like vocal bands, right? They kind of put this all into a a melting pot. And and then they had the kind of garage angle. You know, and at that time they played all their own instruments. and That's something else we'll we'll talk about as we go as well, um, because people kind of know them from Pet Sounds on as being kind of a, a studio band with, you know, the wrecking crew, but the wrecking crew played on some stuff, but not nearly as much as, as people think. So, you know, they had been uh, kind of a radical band from 1962, which is, which is when they started, which is a long fucking time ago. Um, So, you know, like I said, the first five, six years, they put out, uh, I think eight albums, I want to say, you know, stacked, chock full. There's multiple greatest hits compilations, of just the surf, you know, years, there's at least 20 classic singles, you know, during those times, during that time. Like I said, I, I, you know, these days it's tricky because I mean, I love that music. I think a lot of older people love that kind of music. I'm curious to you know know what younger people think about, about uh, you know, that time period and those songs. I really don't know. I haven't talked to anybody younger. So I'd be curious to hear if they f- felt it was dated or, you know, a little bit goofy, but um, you know, as much as of a fan as the kind of surf era um, as I am, you know, after that those first few years, they kind of, I mean, you know, we could just say it's pet sound.
3: I may not always love you
1: I, what, I, what, what do we say about, about Pet Sounds? Right. So, 1966 is um, you know up until that time, Brian has always had always been a great writer and a great producer, which um, he really came into his own with with Pet Sounds. But w- when they did you know the Pet Sounds record, it was really really radical um, for the production, but also the songs. You know, it was just a really really lush, beautiful album that you know. It, it was the, like it was Sergeant Pepper, the year before, or two years before Sergeant Pepper came out. Right, it's the album that influenced you know Paul and and made Paul say, "Well, shit, I have to top this album." Right, so that's what kind of um, lit the fire under Paul's ass to kind of come up with the concept of Sergeant Pepper and then write you know most of the, the album. So Sergeant Pepper's was was their response to to pet sounds and, you know, pet sounds in a way was kind of a response to revolver and, you know, Brian and, and Paul had always had, you know, they have, I don't want to say love, hate relationship. It's like a mutual respect and admiration, but also kind of jealousy because they both respect each other, you know, immensely. So they were always trying to kind of outdo each other. Right. So, so pet sounds was released, you know, massive success critically and, um, you know, sold a ton of records and, and that changed a lot of things. So, um, after Pet Sounds came out, there was a lot of pressure on Brian, you know, what was next. And Brian, even though the Beach Boys were a group, they were an instrumental group, they all played their own instruments, and they all contributed. They all harmonized, but they also contributed to the songwriting. Brian was still, he was the guy, right? He, he was writing most of the songs, producing the record. So he was under an immense amount of pressure, not only from the record company, but also from his dad, right? They had, the Wilson brothers were kind of, had a little bit of a a Jackson five kind of a situation going on before the Jackson five, right. The, their father, you know, he didn't like beat him up or anything, but he, you know, was a taskmaster and he really wanted them to succeed and really drove them and pushed them, especially Brian. Right. So just setting the stage for post pet sounds, you know, what's next, Brian's under just a tremendous amount of pressure and the band recorded a lot of songs for an album that Brian was going to call smile, right. Which was going to be, the greatest album ever recorded. That was his goal. You know, it's it's going to be the greatest record that's ever been recorded. Um, So they spent several months recording tracks in in 1966 and including good vibrations, which was one of the first tracks finished. And they released, you know, as a single early on. Um, And then heroes and villains was the next one. And, you know, good vibrations. I encourage anyone that hasn't really listened to that song in a while to put some headphones on. And listen to it. Because Good vibration is an act, absolutely insane song. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible on, on so many levels.
3: I, I love the colorful clothes she wears And the way the sunlight plays upon her head I hear the sound of a gentle wind On the way that lifts her perfume through the air
1: sonically you know the production just the you know the melody i mean it's it's just an amazing song so good vibrations came out and that was successful heroes and villains then came out after that as a single and it was not as big of a hit it was a little bit uh, kind of threw people for a loop through the record company for a loop they didn't really like the songs that that brian was was playing for them um so basically that coupled with all the pressure that brian had been under for for several years really because he was the guy he had dropped out he had he had not been touring with the beach boys for several years because they just locked him in a room the 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 record company so he could write and that's why they had glenn campbell for a little while was and took his place touring for several years and then bruce johnson came on and so anyway everything came to a head in 66 during the smile sessions and he he, he had a breakdown right i mean everybody i think knows that if that you know brian had a little bit of a or a lot of big breakdown and, and kind of receded into the background um and, and didn't really do nearly as much as he had been doing with the band for several years right so um after Smile was scrapped, they completely scrapped it. And, you know, I'm sure people know it's subsequently come out in a couple of different versions over the last 20 years. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's just fucking, it's a shame it didn't come out as it was originally intended, but it's, it's, I think, the the best Beach Boys album and one of the best albums probably ever. But after the original sessions and recordings were scrapped, they entered this phase that I think is the greatest um, phase that the group went through it was 67 to about 73, right? And there's an eight-album run that they had that I think is unparalleled, um, maybe any band ever. Uh, and the albums were Smiley Smile, which came out in 67. And what they did is they kind of cobbled together some songs from the Smile Sessions uh, and put put out Smiley, which is very – it's like a 25-minute record. It's extremely short. Um, and it's really interesting. It's one of the weirder albums – you're ever likely to hear. It's extremely lo-fi, some instrumental, it's just, I don't know how else to describe it, but very, very weird. It, it was, it, it's been, it was used at the time in several uh, drug clinics for um, LSD users and abusers and people that had kind of gone off the deep end and or people that used LSD. I guess people use it a lot at the time for come downs to help bring people down and relax them because it's very, very relaxing and so Smiley Smiles incredible the same year they were they released Wild Honey which is like an R&B influenced uh lo-fi album as well which then influenced a lot of bands the Beatles the Stones to kind of go lo-fi again right the Beatles uh the White Album like, compared to Sgt Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour there's not as much studio kind of trickery they they went a little bit lo- more lo-fi same with the Stones and that was because of Wild Honey uh the year, year after that 68 was Friends which is probably my personal favorite uh beach boys album again very short um very odd very lo-fi incredible the year after that was 202069 which is kind of an odds and ends um you know songs that had been left off of smile and wild honey and that had been sitting around they pieced together one of the songs was the song that um uh, charles manson wrote that dennis covered you know they were hanging out a lot at the time and uh So they recorded one of Manson's songs. That's on 2020. The year after is an album called Sunflower, 1970, which a lot of people think is probably their best record after Pet Sounds. And it it is. It's really, really beautiful. It's probably the most beautiful album they recorded other than than Pet Sounds. 71 was Surf's Up, and that's a uh, a kind of a dour album um, with an ironic title. Um, But it has one of the greatest songs of all time on it called which is surfs up the title song carl and the passions um came out uh the next year which is very very experimental is one of elton john's favorite albums uh, i encourage you to check that out and then the year after uh 73 was uh, holland which they recorded when they were in amsterdam for a while and you know at that time they had they had brought on um a couple of musicians and just to kind of you know fill out the band a little bit so th- those eight albums uh, if you hadn't heard any of those albums or all of those albums, check them out because they're really, really, really amazing. And they're they're light years away from kind of the surf stuff. I mean, it, it sounds like a, a different band, not only like a different band, but it sounds like no other band that you've ever really heard before. Um, so the year or actually it was a few years after Holland, they recorded an album called 15 Big Ones, which is not very good. It's kind of half covers and half songs, um, which leads us to nineteen seventy seven, right? The year after that, which is uh the year that this album came out, The Beach Boys Love You. And uh this was it was hyped at the time as Brian's back because it had been about ten years. So yes, yeah, so it's eleven years, 10, 11 years, because it was the end of 66 when he kinda went off the deep end. So it had been about a decade. And he had written some stuff some songs contributed here and there, Wild Honey Friends, you know, and he had produced some stuff here and there, but he was not really doing nearly as much with the band as he had been. But when 77 came around, he was ready. He was going to, re- you know, record and release a new album, which he did. Um, it was originally going to be called Brian Loves You, um, but he changed the name uh, because he didn't want to hurt the band. As he said, he thought that if he just called it Brian Loves You, it would hurt, you know, a, it would probably wouldn't sell as much as a Beach Boys album which ironically it didn't anyway, but, you know, he didn't want to hurt the band, which I thought was kind of noble. I appreciate it because Brian did everything. He wrote every song, played every instrument. Um, The other Beach Boys contribute some harmonies here and there. You know, Dennis came in and hit a snare drum here and there, but 90, I don't know, 6% of the album is Brian. So it's basically a, a Brian Wilson solo album. And it really is the first thing that he had done, um, you know, of any substance in a decade. And after this album, actually, he wouldn't do anything else for another decade uh, until he recorded his solo album, just called Brian Wilson, which I think was 88. So, you know, in 20 years, he basically did Smile and then this album. And this album, um, you know, there's some critical love for it at the time. It has since become kind of a cult record. It's uh, it's never it never caught on with fans. It didn't really sell much. Um, a lot of fans still don't even know it exists. It's definitely an oddity in their catalog. Um, but, you know, people that know it really love it, including uh, Brian, who says it's the greatest thing that he's ever done. He he likes it more than Pet Sounds. He tells everybody when they ask him about the Beach Boys, he, if they hadn't listened to the Beach Boys, he said to start with Pet Sounds and then listen to Beach Boys Love You. Um, so... Boys love you uh it's uh you know what 34 minutes so a little bit over a half hour not not too long of a record um like i said brian did everything uh was recorded at brother studios which is the studio that they had set up in santa monica um in october november 76 um and really it was a lot of Moog synthesizers. Um, he, Brian was inspired by Wendy Carlos who had recorded an album called switched on Bach. Um, and then she I think, went on to do the clockwork orange soundtrack as well. But, um, you know, he was inspired by that. So he decided to do an album using only synthesizers. There's a little bit of percussion here and there. Like I said, you'll hear a snare drum, um, there's some weird noises, but really it's all mogs mini mogs He did bass lines on an ARP synthesizer. So it's just, it's basically Brian in a room with a microphone and a bunch of synthesizers. And I guess the only, like people sometimes when I talk about this, they're like, well, how, what does it sound like? And the only way I can really describe it is, it's almost as if they, the Beach Boys took a bunch of vocal track, like rough vocal tracks that had gone unused and were not mixed or finished or polished or sung necessarily that well and put them over like experimental synth music. Um, But the melodies and the harmonies when the other Beach Boys do harmonize on some of the songs I think are absolutely amazing. Um, I think these songs are all earworms. Um, I, you know, I, I, the first time I heard it, I loved it mostly because it was so weird and different. And I was like, what the fuck? I mean, all the synth, yeah. But it's also a grower, I think. You know, the more you listen to this record, the kind of more you get into it. Um, you know, the first couple of go rounds could be a little rough just because it's so different and so out there. Like I said, the, the you know, Brian's voice was not great at this point. I mean, Dennis sings on it. Carl sings a little bit. Um, you know, and Carl was really the voice. I mean, he's the one that sang God Only Knows, and which, by the way, Paul McCartney, says, is the greatest song ever written. Uh, but, you know, Brian's voice, which was great, um, was pretty much shot at this point. So the vocals are not great. Mike Love still sounds pretty good. You know, Al Jardine sounds good when they harmonize, but it's really the the Brian show. And it's it's rough, man. It sounds rough. And um, and again, the synthesizer. it's not like, oh, this is the Beach Boys synth album and it's just beautiful, like, you know, washes of synth or like, you know, just play a synthesizer like a piano. It's like very experimental synth. I mean, it's just weird noises. And like I said, bass lines with the ARP and it's just... It's just a very odd, odd record. Um, and like I said before, it's pretty short. It's for, I think 14 songs, not most are two minutes, maybe a little more than two minutes. There's a couple that are under a minute. Um, so it's a quick listen. Um, but again, it just, it really kind of, at least for me, it, it's, it sticks with me and has stuck with me for years. I played it for people, uh, over the years and honestly, the, uh, <laughs> it's not a great success rate. And most people I play it for do not like it. Um, but again, I do think it's a grower and, and I'm really curious, you know, I, we'll listen to some songs here in a minute, but after we're done, we can talk and I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Um, and, and, or if you've listened to it, you know, more, more than once or twice and, and if that affected, you know, how you feel about it. Um, because I've kind of found over the years, this to be true, which is that, you know, some of the best records uh, that I've ever heard, I didn't love the first, you know, one or two times I listened to. And it took me a while to get into them. And then when I'm in, then you're like, Oh man, this is amazing. And it's because, you know, whenever something is that different, uh, sometimes there's a learning curve, right. It takes a little bit of time to get into it. So um, again, I encourage anyone that listens to this record to listen to it um, several times. So uh, we can talk about, like I said, there's 14 songs and there's seven of them. I just wanted to talk about briefly. Um, I think there are, I could talk about all 14 of these songs, but I, I you know, we'll cut it in half and, and just and touch on some of them. So the first song uh, I want to play is from side one of the record. Um, it's kind of a 1950s sounding song that Dennis uh, sings. And at this point, Dennis is, voice was a little bit rough as well which i kind of like you know it's really really deep and rough but um but this definitely has a 50s uh feel to it um it's basically about you know brian talking about uh, a woman that he likes um the, the synthesizers are pretty weird on this one they sound like horns um so we'll give it a little a listen Okay, so that song is called Mona. Um, that's probably one of the more conventional tunes on this album. Uh, you can tell it, it really does sound kind of like a 50s song, a little bit of doo-wop. I, I do I do think the synth sounds like horns. The first couple of times I heard the album, I thought they, it was horns, but there are no horns on the album. Um, you know, when he talks about, and this is something we'll t- talk more about as well, the lyrics on this album, but... And this in this one, you know, he's just talking to his girlfriend, Mona, and he's and he's talking about all the things that he loves. Right. He's talking about Phil Spector. And um, so I guess, you know, that's a good time to to kind of segue briefly into the the lyrics on this record, which is <laughs> this sounds a little bit notorious, again, amongst people that know it. But it's a little bit notorious for its lyrics, um, which are uh, pretty bizarre. Um, you know, people I forget who it was somebody that one of the mixers or somebody that worked on the record that that knew Brian very well described it as like, uh, you know, the perfect, like, you know, crystallization or distillation of Brian's mind. Like it was the, it was the greatest insight we'd ever have into Brian Wilson's brain, which is a little bit frightening because these songs are, are, the lyrics are very odd, you know, they range from, you know, and I think part of it is because I, you know, I think Brian, like I was saying before, he, he had kind of a jackson similar to michael jackson right he he grew up really quick his dad was a taskmaster he was under a lot of pressure and i think he had this very childlike uh, side like michael did it was kind of i think a reaction to all that um and in his 20s you know it, it's like writing songs about girlfriends and cars and riding waves and stuff it's like okay that's what he was thinking about in his 20s now this album he says this is what it was on his mind in his 30s and it's a little it's a little weird because um you know some of it is just talking about girlfriends and stuff like that but then there's songs about you know watching a a young girl roller skating around which i think he has subsequently said that he maybe carl said that, that was supposed to be his daughter but it sounds like he's talking about a like a teenage girl on roller skates you know and like i said he's like i don't know 35 or 37 or something at this point um there's a song <laughs> where he basically compares his girlfriend to a baby, and talks about how he wants to like pick her up, you know, in the lyrics and stuff. And I thought the first several times I heard that song, I thought he was talking about a baby, like oh, he's a new dad and he's he's got his baby. He's singing about, but it's not. He's singing about his girlfriend, but he's like equating her to a baby and you how. And like in interviews, I've read things of where he tries to explain it, and it does not. Ex- it does not explain it. He's just kind of like you know, yeah, you know, it's like when you love your girlfriend so much and you want and you're, she's like a baby and you want to just pick her up, you know, and you're like I don't know, man. It's just weird. So, uh, next up, this is, uh, this is actually a song that they had recorded. He had recorded earlier 1970. So it was about seven, six, seven years earlier. Um, you know, and really it's, it's, uh, it's pretty simple tune. I mean, it's called good time and that's really all it's about is just having a good time with his girlfriend. My girlfriend,
0: Betty, she's always ready to help me in any way. She do my cooking. She's always looking for ways she can make my day. And when I'm looking at her, the sound of bitter better on rainy days like today.
1: So again, that, that song has since It sounded a lot like horns. Um, you know, there's, I don't know what the percussion is, uh, wood blocks or something like that that you can hear throughout here and there. Um, but I like them when they hit the falsetto and the harmonizing comes in, it's just, it's really a nice kind of turn in the song. Um, and again, just, you know, these, these harmonies and the melodies that you associate with the beach boys and just pop music in general, paired with the synth- synthesizer music. It's just, I just never, it never gets old for me. Okay. So next up, we've got something we got to talk about. And this is, <laughs> this is a song there's a great story behind this song. The song is called Ding Dang and it's about 57 seconds long, I think. And Brian Wilson has said this is I think he said this is the greatest thing he's ever done, this song. Um which again, I what I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but it, it, it is, you know, the, I the first several times I heard this song, it was like, it's kind of a throwaway, right? It's 57 seconds. It's not even a full song and we'll listen to it in a second it's you know it, it's there's not like there's a verse chorus verse it's not an actual song it's basically brian the story behind it is brian showed up at roger roger McGuinn's house one night um from the birds to buy some amphetamines right so roger's like yeah sure come on in i got amphetamines right so they start i'm assuming they do some amphetamines and then they sit down at the piano and they start messing around on the piano and they start playing around with what is to become this ding dang um so they're messing around with it for a while. Roger's throwing out a nonsensical lyric that he just keeps repeating and Brian just keeps repeating the same thing on the, key, on the piano but he's messing around with it and changing it. So Roger goes to bed and he comes down the next morning and Brian's still at the piano doing ding-dang, this fucking thing. All night he's been playing, playing around with this ding-dang thing and let's just listen to it just quickly. <laughs> That's that's the greatest thing that Brian Wilson ever recorded, according to him. Um, You know, and I don't even know what to say. I mean, I will say over the years, it's gotten I I like it now. It's just so weird. And I like it. You know, at first, again, I thought it was just kind of like, why is this on the album? You know, and then hearing about how he thinks it was, you know, one of his favorite songs he's ever written and. Uh, there's multiple permutations of this. He obviously was working on this for a while. Like there's like five different versions that they never released with weird lyrics about chicks with like, I think one of them's like, she's got big tits. Woo. I mean, it gets, the story gets very weird. You can go down a wormhole, a ding dang wormhole. If you, if you'd like, Um, I think it's a lot of people think this is what, so Brian also had an obsession with shortening bread, which is like a traditional I don't know, song from I don't know when, but everybody knows like Shorten and Bread, you know, Shorten and So he was obsessed with that song and recorded famously.
2: Uh, he was, yeah. He was, I mean, he was really obsessed with it.
1: <laughs> there's a, I think there's a story, isn't it? Is it Shorten and Bread where Alice Cooper and somebody else came over to <laughs> yeah. Brian Wilson's house and he was like, he scared Alice Cooper because he was playing Shorten and Bread over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, like all night long or something, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the- he thought he was yeah. messing
2: around, but he wasn't. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> alice is like finally like okay i gotta go this brian's now with the shortened and bread thing so i don't know ding dang supposedly people a lot of people think that was the in, in, initial that's what kicked off the shortened and bread obsession so i don't know all right so the next song a little more traditional this is um this one's really cool it's called the night was so young and it's um i think it it's on side two we're on side two now and the next three songs I'm going to play kind of form a little bit of a suite. I mean, they're not really linked together, but they're just three songs in a row. But they're really, really beautiful. I mean, I like them a lot. They fit on Pet Sounds, I think, or or Smile. Um, but this one, "The Night Was So Young," the harmonies are really, really nice on this one. Carl sings on this one, which is great because I, you know, anytime Carl sings, I love it. And this one also has in the background, if you listen for it, like a really, really cool kind of faint surf surf guitar, which is kind of nice because you don't there's not really any guitar on this record, so it's kind of a nice little.
0: The night
1: was so young and everything still The moon shining bright
2: on my windowsill I think of her lips it chills me inside And then I think why does she have to hide?
3: love go where it should.
2: Skies turning gray, there's clouds overhead.
1: I'm still not asleep in my bed. I think of her eyes. He's got that kind of Hawaiian like, Wah! you know, in the background. I really like that one It's cool. Um so you know the song right after that on side 2 uh again is really really beautiful it's um you know this one's interesting it's it's a duet uh that Brian does with his wife uh, Marilyn and uh this song's kind of caught some flack over the years because people you know are like why because Marilyn can't really sing you know so they're like why why are you doing a duet with uh, you know your wife who can't really sing that well and again Brian's voice at this point was not great either so It's a it's this beautiful, I think, beautiful song where the both people are kind of off key a little bit and it doesn't, you know, the vocals are not that great. But it's very, very cute, I think, too. You know, I think the song is that much more better for it. You know, if they would have got a professional female vocalist to duel with duet with Brian and he would have trained his vocal. You know, like it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same thing. It's it's I think a lot and it fits on this album a lot better, um, you know, as it is now. So this is called uh, Let's Put Our Hearts Together. I don't want to tell you
0: that I care for you And have you just ignore me It's better that I wait and see just how you feel And maybe you'll adore me
1: Time don't worry how you feel because you know we've got so I like that one a lot. I think it's I think it's great that he had Marilyn do with on that one. so the song actually, before that on the album, in between the the two previously and the kind of sweet um, has really nice the melodies in this song are r- really, really great. It's called i uh, will Bet He's nice um and the the backup singing is really incredible as well, and it's got these really weird kind of descending synth lines. In it, which is I think a really nice contrast to like the beautiful, like harmonizing and everything. And all actually, all three brothers, Dennis, Carl, and Brian all sing on this one, which is kind of cool too. I bet he's nice. I bet
2: he's twice. As nice as being it makes me cry. Cause I remember you. Because I'm still in love with you, pretty darling
3: You, my pretty darling You, pretty darling You, my pretty darling I bet he's sweet yeah. I bet he's
0: neat yeah. I bet
3: he's funny and bad.
1: I like the, uh, I like the background vocals a lot on that one. You know, that, that kind of is, harkens back to kind of the surf era, you know, the, the harmonizing that that they did. Um, and then lastly, uh, is a song that again is, you know, (laughs) Brian's voice, not, not great. And it kind of, you know, it stands out a little more on the song. It's the last song on the record. It's called love is love Is a woman. And, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what it is about this song. Um, it's really, really simple. Um, it's not like an incredible song or anything, but for some reason this song, I can like it's such an earworm for me. I cannot stop. Whenever I hear it, I can't stop singing for like two days, you know, and it's just that one line, you know, Love is a woman. It's just like it just I don't know, it gets me. Love is a woman. So
3: treat her.
1: that too i love the dun 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 you know uh and then you know the percussion in that song is is great too it's just a bop 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 occasional snare you know i think there's a floor time maybe at one point but it's just so sparse this whole record is just so sparse it reminds me of like you know what a band i really love from the last you know 20 years is, is spoon when they're from austin they're a really great band and rock and roll band and they I, like, I feel like Spoon was probably influenced, you know, by this record because they were a very minimalist band as well. You know, a lot of their songs will just be one instrument or two instruments. Or if there's drums, it's just very, very, very simple drums. Like, um, you know, and I don't know a lot of records at the time, you know, we're talking mid to late 70s that were were kind of being minimal um, with the production. So so that's Beach Boys Love You. You know, it was like I said before, it was not a not a big hit uh, commercially, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been forgotten a little bit. It's definitely a cult record. I mean, there's beach boys fanatics. that really love it like me. Um, but I, it's, you know, it's just not really known. I don't think as well as it should be. Um, you know, critically it was fairly well received. I think over the years, um, its legacy, uh, I think it's, it's gone up, you know, I think it's held in even higher regard now than it was then. Um, a lot of people think it influenced the new wave, I guess. Um, and a lot of bands were influenced by it, like the Talking Heads, I guess, is a band that um, has acknowledged that they were influenced by this record. There's a lot of musicians, actually, that um, – like Patty Smith um, was really heavy into this record. She wrote like a really glowing review for – I forget which magazine um, – less the best is lesser bangs review i wish i had it up i should bring it up so i can quote from it um peter buck uh is a huge fan from rem guitar player it's his favorite beach boys record and he's a big fan alex chilton has covered several songs off this record yola tango has covered a couple of songs off this record uh bell and sebastian um so you know it's uh it's definitely a hit you know in the musical community um and and it does have a legacy but again it's it's just not as well known as as it should be and and that's why we're talking about it today so um yeah i'm curious to uh to hear what you guys think here i think i found the lester bangs review this was he he was a huge huge fan uh, i gotta find it he bangs was a huge fan of this record he liked the beach boys a lot too but he was a huge fan he just thought this was the best thing they ever did and the, the quote i'll look for it while we're talking in real later but the quote that he wrote about this record is absolutely hilarious so that's beach boys love you and i'm very curious to hear what <laughs> what you guys thought about it I don't I don't
2: know if it's if it's a mad genius record or not. I think that's what's that's what I struggled with so much. I wanted it to be this kind of you know, I listened to it once and it was like, "Alright, i got going to listen to it again because this is this must be some kind of like borderline outsider art thing." <laughs> but then after the second run through, you know, when you get back to that Johnny Carson song for the second time, i like, "Oh my god, I think I, I think this is serious, but in the but not in the cool outsider art way. You know, this isn't like um this isn't Daniel Johnston. Like this is this is like a guy who just watches a lot of Johnny Carson. Yeah. Uh which which I guess I guess Daniel Johnston probably also, you know, did a lot of the really mundane things he's saying about. But it kind of got like filtered through some sort of, some sort of like, some sort of spiritual thing that he was onto. And here, Brian is just like, it seems to be, he seems to be like suppressing any artistic instinct he has, especially. And I think that's the, that's the, that's so clear on the Ding Bang song, where it's just like, the dude just got in the groove one night singing ding dang over and over and over again. (laughs) He just had to record it. It was, it wasn't even about like trying to create art. It was just like, it was just a compulsion. It was just like a, just like with the shortening bread anecdote, like he just, he just loved that dang melody so much. He just had to keep playing it like kind of like a, yeah, kind of like a little kid or something or, 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 I don't know. It's 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 a tough listen. I, I take I take your points about the um about about the production being uh, ahead of its time and and all of the you know the, the way it was received by by people who were like kind of close to the avant garde or, or or who were you know interested in pushing rock forward. They saw it as an as a as a crucial album. I don't know why um, it hasn't. Uh, it, it didn't stick around after that. Um, I mean, I know you said that like some some contemporary bands were were into it, but it's it's never. I didn't even know about this album until you you uh, you talked about it, and it was um, you know. And I'm familiar with like canonical Beach Boys classic period stuff. I didn't know this album at all. Um, it's not a record that gets talked about when people are talking about these albums that influenced the, you know, the influenced music down the line, like, you know, this, this just kind of, it, it, it gets overshadowed by punk, I think in the, in the history, right? Like there's just so much stuff coming out in 1977. Like why, why would you listen to this one to understand everything that happened afterwards? <laughs> there's so many things that, that, that I think i don't know i it's it's i'd be curious to hear what uh, what others have to think too
1: well that's good that you bring up uh punk because well actually first of all let me just read this lester bangs's review uh in cream he says it was the beach boys best album ever and he called them a diseased bunch of motherfuckers who exhibit a beauty so awesome that listening to them at their best is like being in some vast dream cathedral decorated with a thousand gleaming American pop culture icons. And that's Lester Banks. You know what I mean? He, it was hard to impress. So I praise. I mean, that's, it's, that is but, interesting. But Max, you mentioned um, punk and this album, and this is something that we should discuss because I don't know if I, this album is refer, it's referred to as their, uh, the Beach Boys punk album. Right. So I, and I don't know if I know what that means. I mean, I guess maybe, the fact that it's stripped down and lo-fi and and like almost aggressively um disorienting is maybe that's why they call their punk album I, I guess like obviously it's not sonically a, a punk album it's more of an i guess an aesthetic punk album or politically a punk album. i don't know I, it's but it has that's this is if you look if you like read anything about this out it's their punk that people call it the beach boys punk album
0: yeah, yeah. i mean, it is Oh, probably, yeah, what you're saying, it's counter to, to what they did, you know, so aggressively counter to their Mm -hmm. previous
2: work.
3: Yeah, Yeah, it's like punk relative to the Beach Boys, but not punk, as we know punk.
2: Right, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, I came across that, um that uh description of it as their punk album and I kept listening for it and just I was I wanted to really hear what was punk in it and it's 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 hard to hear. Um yeah maybe because it's 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 cause it's kind of off putting it it doesn't it doesn't really it feels like they weren't trying to make the kinds of like mainstream albums that were being made at that time. Right. Like it's not you know, they weren't following Bruce Springsteen or anything.
1: Yeah. And I think maybe I agree. And I, it's also, again, if you like read stuff about this record, I've got a few beach boys books and like, you know, the Wikipedia page for it. And there's a couple articles out there. Actually, if you Google it, there's a handful of people that have written about it, you know, the great, forgotten masterpiece from Brian, like all that kind of stuff. So um, and they also always talk about um, it's pioneering use of synthesizers, which obviously it's a heavily synth, uh, you know, inflected album. I mean, it's all, it's wall to wall synthesizers. That's pretty much it, but pioneering, you know, at first I was like, well, this is 77, 70, late 76. Obviously people have been use, you know, Stevie's been using synth for, you know, five years now. And, but I guess what they mean is pioneering in the way that it's not used like a piano or used as like, you know, background washes or like, you know, like tonally it's, it's used in such odd, this are used in such weird, like don't, 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 you know, like that'll be it for one whole song is how he, so the, it, I think he uses them in such odd ways. I think is what people mean by pioneering. And maybe that's part of what makes it punk as well. He just, he uses the synthesizers. It's not like he got a bunch of synths and then used them like you would think you would use synthesizers. He used them as like, almost like percussive instruments, I think, Mm. in some songs. It's it's very weird.
2: It's also, um, it's it's very, it's at times like an orchestral approach. And I think... uh, what you said about Wendy Carlos was interesting context because there are moments that do sort of sound like switched on, on Bach, which, which came out in the late sixties, almost like 10 years before this album. Um, But that was like switched on Bach. I mean, that's like, that's what Wendy Carlos had to do was like study computers in order to make that album. I think by yeah. that, by the point that, by the time that Brian Wilson was using this stuff it was probably a little bit more, um, user-friendly but there's a similar kind of like like in-depth like, like this is the future of music we can do we can make all of these sounds with these machines and we don't have to hire anybody right yeah um that's kind of that's that's pretty cool and i can't think of other records yeah you're right about like artists using synth here and there for years you know or throughout the 70s i can't think of another album other than like Kraftwerk um, and, and some of the stuff like coming out of that world that that actually fully embraces electronic music yeah. already at this point. It's pretty. It's pretty uh, ahead of its time in that way. Um, yeah,
1: you're right. Actually, that's a good way to look at it. It's almost like less. It's just a synthesizer album. I mean, it's it's really a, It's really almost an electronic album.
2: Really. Yeah. Totally. Hmm. What do you think, Kelly?
3: Um, I mean, I like it. This was pretty new to me. Um, I think, you know, obviously know the beach boys know that that surf era, um, really like pet sounds. And I still think after listening, you know, to this and to smiley smile, I think I still am in the pet sounds camp, um, as being like the beach boys that I want to hear. And I wonder, you know, I don't know for this album, I'm, I'm actually just kind of amazed, like Brian's like mental health and like drug use and isolation and, and all these like, you know, things that you, if you know, in the background, like, it's amazing how much he like creates, like how he's willing to be like so creative and experimental and just like dedicate himself to like his creative process while he's in the middle of like, you know, these like mental breakdowns. So like that alone is really fascinating to me. Um, and then like you were saying, like for the lyrics, like getting into like his headspace, like it makes you wonder, yeah, what, well, what is, what was he thinking? And if is, is it, it's like maybe a product of the times too, that it's a little like, it's obviously creepier today than it might've been then, but I don't know. Um, uh, So that, that's, what's more interesting to me than like the actual like music itself. Like if you put it like this album in a vacuum, like, and not knowing, you know, what the work before and the work that comes after and like all of his, you know, mental decline and that he's just on a synth. And um, if I didn't know all of those things, I'd wonder if I would think twice about this album, but, um, but knowing all of that is, makes it more fascinating. So, when I, mean, I liked it, um, you know, I think um, Ding Dang was really funny to me. I, I like specifically wrote down, like, I really like this, why is it so short? Um, I really like Good Time. I thought, you know, that kind of had the, like, Beatles, like, playful, white album-esque, you know, um, aspect. And, like, that's one thing I hadn't thought about, too. Like, obviously, it's a clear, you know, just from the times, like, like the whole, you know, Beach Boys being the American Beatles sort of thing. Like, I feel like that, you know, that crossed my mind. But I didn't think of them, like, as, like, playing and recording in response to each other. I think that's really neat. Um, and like that opens like a whole new perspective when I'm listening to it. Um, but overall, I mean, I really liked it. Um, I think a lot of the lyrics, like super playful, super childish. Some of them are creepy, but overall, I think it's kind of just like a fun experimental. I don't know if, I think if Max, if you said it maybe over like our, our message thread, just like he just sat himself in a room at a synthesizer and just like had at it, like what, what made him happy um i like i like to picture that when i'm listening to it so overall
1: i, I like it. well I, I mean it's a good point about the lyrics the lyrics are definitely weird and they're a little bit you know can be construed as a little bit creepy maybe but but it's almost like i i think if you filter it through the lens of brian's mindset it, they're not creepy or weird you know that like that they, they were i think they he's coming from it more of a place of almost like a childlike like for example like Max, we were talking earlier about Johnny Carson. That's not like a metaphor or anything. Like, he's just yeah. loved, loved, loved. <laughs> and he wrote well, a song. like solar
3: system. He's just like in love with space,
1: <laughs> space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just just like space
3: marking yeah. how beautiful it is. And I think that's so pure. It's so yeah,
1: pure is a
0: great word for it. Yeah, it, yeah. Feel, it feels very pure.
2: <laughs> it does while being but being so strange at the same time it's a lot like that that insane clown posse song that that was everybody was into 10 years ago the one with the magnets how do they work line Um,
1: like where it's just like these
2: guys who are like who are who are kind of like these fringe characters who are expressing really sincere sentiments about everyday things science (laughs) yeah like just like like the wonders of the universe and 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 Brian Wilson has kind of the same vibe here cuz he's like you know he's he's he is kind of a fringe guy like Brian Wilson's also like you know he's he like lives all day in like a, in his like bathrobe and like eats uh coconut shrimp and does a lot of acid like he's not he's not like a he's not like a regular joe or anything he he's a weirdo uh, but he's just, but he's also expressing something super earnest and like not weird. <laughs> um, and that's, it becomes weird because he's he's expressing something so earnest while being a strange guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what the kind of through line is on the
0: lyrics. And I was definitely picking up on the the childlike and the purity and just maybe, maybe things that he's into things that he just, I mean, there's, there's some love and relationship stuff in there, but then it's just like whatever he's kind of into, I guess, like roller skating and babies and airplanes. And it was just, it's really, I couldn't quite figure it out. Like lyrically, I don't, maybe uh, you guys had some thoughts on that, but I'm like, what, what exactly is, is happening here?
1: But like, <laughs> like love
3: is a woman, like I felt like, not that it's creepy by any means, but I feel like it's, I don't know. It missed a mark to me. Like, I feel like the intentions to be like romantic and sweet and like, it's catchy very catchy, I'll say. Yeah, it gets in your ear, but like, what? Like, it's missing. It's just weird. Like, it's off. Like, <laughs> weird. It's like what if they recorded that today? People would be like, "Why are you?" You know, let's 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 do another take. <laughs> and like, you know,
1: it's almost like yeah. you know, like Dylan esque in a way, where it's like you know. Like oh well the air you know <laughs> the airplane means something else you know and and this means but it does not mean anything else he's just right. roller skates and, and <laughs> he's and, just uh,
3: looking around the room <laughs>
1: like, I mean really it's he's watching TV and he's like man Johnny Carson is awesome
3: yeah what are his favorite nouns <laughs> like that's, yeah, that's yeah so I saw
0: funny. something about the Johnny Carson thing where he felt like because um, there's a line in there about like the studio works him hard or something like that I forget what the, the line is exactly but I read an article about him. Feeling sympathy or feeling a kinship with him because he had been burdened by the man, sort of thing. But that's a pretty deep reading, I think. Of I think you just like Johnny Carson.
1: I mean, the lyrics for that song are like, you know, at one point he talks about just how he's just so masculine. It's just yeah, so, right? it's so <laughs> like is Johnny Carson even masculine? I, I don't even think he is masculine. I don't. I don't nah. know. No, yeah.
2: he's not like a he's macho a man. I wouldn't label him that way. <laughs> he's a comic. <laughs> But in brain's mind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think no, the it's... weirdest song is is I Want to Pick You Up lyrically. Yeah, I agree. That is, yeah. I couldn't believe that when I heard that. Uh... <laughs> no, wait, remind me though why it's not just a song about a baby.
0: Like, is it, is there a part there where he's talking about like so babying talking her. <laughs> a baby too?
1: Yeah, so that's what I thought. I thought it was but like, what's
0: movie. the lyrical part that makes it not about a baby? Because it seems pretty straight up like, baby but it's is there a his, beginning he, part it's about
1: his girl it's about his girlfriend i think he, that's what he said but he, does he say that but you, after the fact he said that but I in, the song, the in the song i guess we could look the lyrics up and see.
3: yeah
1: i mean well, I, I, <laughs> I i think it's i think it, it's
2: all it's ambiguous right as we were saying <laughs> and it's it could be about a baby up until the port the part where he says then I'm gonna make you sing, like who makes their baby sing?
1: Yeah, no, Some the, the, lyrics, <laughs> the lyrics are all they're all uh, straight babe it's like I love to pick you up, yeah, it sounds like it's about a baby, well, the only one that I think is. That I always thought. So I used to think it was about a baby too, but the second line, it's yeah. I want to you up because you're still a baby to me, which is kind of easy. yeah. That, well, later that, he wants well, maybe it's like a nine month old kid or something.
3: Like wants to change their clothes and then wrestle with the baby.
1: Yeah, I, and That's what. Yeah, cribs and cradles and bottles and toys are part of the joys. They bring them, wash your face, <laughs> and and the, your
0: clothes. And well, bucks. you can wrestle with the baby. I don't know. I was I was listening and and it seemed Pat, it just Pat, about a really
1: on right the right. butt, butt, butt. Yeah,
3: that's what gets me. <laughs> She's, pat, gonna pat, pat. she's
1: going to sleep be quiet pat 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 her on her butt butt little baby go to sleep so it, it is except for the second line you're still baby to me the whole thing is a straight baby and he's yeah. an interview, he's like no i'm not talking about baby he's like you know like when your girlfriend like you can like you always want to pick her up like a baby you know <laughs> no, oh so it's more
0: like the way he framed it afterwards that made yeah. it really creepy yeah
3: the line makes me think that it was a baby and now it's like three years old it's no longer a baby but it's still a baby to him but then he's washing it and tickling it and <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a no-go <laughs> it's not good for me
1: it's but also it's like...
3: the song itself is catchy and that's like maybe the problem it's like
1: right, here, here's what it says according to brian wilson the song is an example of how he works specifically at getting the lyrics right for the love you album he expl- So he worked on these. He explained <laughs> the song is about a man who considers this chick a baby. She's too big to pick up, of course, but he wants to. He wants to pretend <laughs> she's still small like a baby. He really wants to pick her up. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the best is, is one of his biographers says... He wrote that the song concerns, quote, an object of desire that is either a disturbingly sexualized infant or a dismayingly infantized adult. <laughs> either either way is bad.
3: It's terrible. <laughs>
1: so weird. Uh,
0: yeah, weird stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think um, my take on it was, first of all, like you sent us a doozy. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the first time I heard it. Like like Max, and I think Callie as well. I didn't know this record even existed. And I fall into that camp, which is kind of embarrassing, I guess, but like surf music, Pet Sounds, Kokomo, like, and I, I missed that whole eight album stretch there, which is incredible. I agree with you. Like that, that music is, this is a tangent, but absolutely amazing. So I'm happy to have been exposed to all that. Good. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know this record. First time I heard it, my jaw kind of hit the ground and I'm just like, this is absurd. Like, this is just absolutely awful. I was like, wanted to laugh and cry at the same time, but, um, but the more I heard it, the more I liked it. I still think the first side is just awful. I don't like, um, I think uh, Good Time is a good song, but Roller Skating Child is horrible. I don't like Mona. <laughs> Johnny Carson's horrible. Honking Down the Highway is probably the low point of the album. <laughs> and then, I'm not in the pro ding-dang camp either. I <laughs> maybe some of the other versions are good but that's like not not good i mean so that whole side but then and solar system so the badness creeps into the side too but then i think uh these other songs i mean the night was so young i think it's beautiful i bet he's nice um i i I like airplane he didn't play airplane but i actually Mm -hmm. like that song a lot and love is a woman is almost sounds like a lennon track to me um in some ways it's very 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 beautiful and um yeah, I mean I, I love the the second side. And my big takeaway was uh my big takeaway was that to me he was in a weakened state. Like, I mean, he's been through so much. All these, you know, mental issues, family issues, breakdowns, um Eugene Landy, right, at this point, um, for I think a couple of years.
1: 24 the hour therapy deal. Yeah, like
0: all this stuff he's been through. And like so my big takeaway was even at his weakest point, he's like better than 95% of the world, which is just, uh, incredible. Like, and that was a Lester Banks. You were just reading, like feeling like you're in this sort of, um, like cathedral, like beautiful cathedral of sound. Like that's what you get with Brian Wilson. Like it definitely, he takes you to a place that even with these songs where the lyrics are kind of weird and inferior to other stuff they've done, like orchestrally and, um, musically and sonically, it's just, it's, transports you in the ways that are like really unbelievable. Um, so, I mean, I, I really ended up liking the record a lot. I'm not sure how much I'll go back to it, but it is, you know, really fascinating. And I just, my takeaway was the, the, his genius and his brilliance because he's not at his prime and still creating music that's this great is kind of mind boggling.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's uh I mean I agree with you. I do love Side 1. I I like the whole thing. But I do agree Side 2 is better. Side 2 is really great. It's amazing Side 2. I, I agree. It's it's front to back great. I like Solar System too, but um yeah, I mean the thing that's incredible, I agree, he was in a in a little bit of a on odd minds. I mean it, it had been a decade, so I think he had been gathering his strength back, but but I liked it, you know, after he kind of revolutionized music, you know, in the early mid 60s, right, with the uh, kind of garage surf rock, which was then imitated, you know, like endlessly. Um, And then he did it again with, with pet sounds, you know, this kind of orchestral pop. Um, And then he, and then he, and he did something, it's not like he did pet sounds too. You know, he did like something completely, something that still sounds fucking weird, which is pretty, I mean, it's been like 45 years and it still sounds weird as hell, which is, that's pretty hard to do, you know? So, I mean, it's true balls on this guy to to do something like that and i you know i like that he's still i'm really happy because i like i said when i got into it and i listened to it obsessively and i was like this is amazing and i was already i looked it up i'm all ready for people to hate it and he i couldn't believe he's like this is the best thing i've ever done. i was like wow okay so he's still all in on this thing because that's what joe i was like does he like regret it or does he look back on this and think Whoa. I should have used the synths differently or maybe I shouldn't have written about a baby, you know, but, but no, I mean, still like he loved it. I mean, it's his favorite. Well, he film. probably
0: found it incredibly cathartic cause he had been sort of sidelined and made to write and, and by his own, you know, fears trapped and probably felt like it was super liberating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To make this record. It's true. And then, but then, you know, that was it he was done until his first solo album which is also really good like it's i mean that's kind of 80s production so you know unfortunately but but yeah for another decade he didn't really do anything so he was you know i don't know man who knows what was going through the guy's head but i'm glad you listened to um the late 60s early 70s stuff though because i really i mean i'm like that's my that's i'm my- like mad at myself
0: for missing out on that and i don't i don't know if and it sounds like I, Max. I
1: think everybody, like I got into it like 20 years ago. So it was after like high school, after college, you know, I, I and I was like, man, how did I miss? Even then I was like, how the hell did I miss all of these great albums? Like for so long, all through high school and college, but it's weird people, you know, the beach boys are like surf music, pet sounds. And then they jump to the eighties, you know, it's yeah. like, miss. Other but than then you
0: miss their literally, I mean, not their best, but some of their very best work. Oh, I think so too. seems I mean, like right. completely overlooked, which is crazy.
1: I know. I I agree. It's ripe for. I love yeah. Surfs
0: Up and Holland is. uh, I'm super into Holland right
1: now. Holland's a great '70s record. I I Surfs Up, amazing friends. I love. I mean, I Wild Honey's great. I mean, that's a really underrated album that a lot of musicians. Jim Morrison was obsessed with Wild Honey, and I I mean, I thought about doing this show on. It was just too much, you know. I was like, I'm going to do the Beach Boys, you know, late '60s, early '70s, that decade, but it was just would have been another three hour. Whole show, so I was like, it sounds like
0: you knew that music, Max. But Callie, did you know that run of albums? Between no. yeah,
3: nope.
0: Did you check them out? Like when you were listening for this, or
3: um a couple of like scattered songs. I didn't really like dive so deep into to did each you of like, the Did you though. like what you heard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, you know, everything I've heard, I I like. There there hasn't been anything that I'm you know I don't want to listen to or that I wouldn't. If it came on, I would turn it off, but. Yeah, no no major like standouts for me. I don't know. I will need to dive deeper and this is is obviously just like opened my mind to how much more experimental they are like I had no idea a- apart yeah. from pet sounds which is a little, you know, it's just kind of experimental yeah. but that's but they're kind of known for that's their, you know, biggest album. So, it's yeah. just interesting to, to kind of open my mind a little bit more to that.
1: Well, they're really that's what I always tell people. They're like the most experimental band that yeah. people that people don't know about that, you know, because they really experimented with not only like production, but just the songwriting. And I mean, it's, you know, they're like the kind of band you can listen to like Sunday morning at brunch, or you can listen to like Friday night on drugs and, and you'll <laughs> love, you know, both times. So it's, yeah, they're, they're a super experimental band. I mean, they, they really, and again, people just don't know that, you know, it's just like, you know, okay, it's a little deuce coop and then it's, pet sounds and then it's kokomo you know but there's so much mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean is that because they were just i mean did the record company not support it because it was different or was it because brian was having problems or music moved on but it's weird that that i mean that much great
1: music just got kind of i know really it, it is i mean i think ignored. it was. i think they were successful enough that you know the albums were success they, they kept making records every year so they sold enough that the company kept you know giving them money and they toured and stuff but but they weren't like as successful as you know surf and safari stuff like that and I, and I think they were they were all really highly regarded amongst musicians musicians really respected them a lot um but uh for some reason like now they they aren't like I bet they were more well known at the time you know yeah. but, now the yeah people i don't know what it's weird it's like this kind of dead zone unless you're in in like in the know it's just don't listen to this stuff i don't know why it's a shame
0: yeah i I found myself through this just becoming kind of a super fan and like i can't get enough of it at this point like i just I,
1: I, i agree and i would say two other things parting thoughts like i I would suggest for anybody <clears throat> that hasn't heard Smile. So, you know, Smile, they scrapped the whole thing um and walked away. They released some songs that, you know, here and there over the next in that 10-year period Joe we're talking about, they would release a song like every year, maybe from Smile. But they finally uh released, you know, Brian did his own Smile in like, I don't know, twenty two thousand eight or something like that. He it was Brian. yeah, which was great, really, really good. But then they actually released a two album set um of the recordings for, of basically they reconstructed the album 2011 right they had 2011. You know, absolutely yeah. like i suggest whoever has never heard smile listen to smile and then another thing i would i always tell people to listen to that i i just heard fairly you know a year ago maybe recently that i had heard about for years it's it's an album dennis um did a, a solo album called pacific ocean blue and the same 77 yeah. and it's amazing like absolutely amazing I, I and it's you know again it's one of those cult records but i um anyone that hasn't heard pacific ocean blue i'd say definitely same year as beach boys love you same studio they were recording kind of at the same time and it's beautiful a lot of the you know carl sings on it and, and brian helped produce it so it's it's kind of like a beach boys record but it's really really great and then you know sadly he died not long after
2: yeah well, I, you I, uh, go ahead max well, I was gonna say i I second the the recommendation of smile, which is just uh i' I'm a big devotee of of that album and it's 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 nuts that it was never finished or released, but also when they issued uh the the two disc set in twenty eleven of what they had it was basically finished, so I don't know why they didn't they didn't put it out it's it's a it's a whole it's an industry story it's 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 these kinds of mistakes that were made and all these kinds of things um i mean it's the it's the great american album that never was it's a completely it's a crazy like hole in in american rock music history um but fortunately most of it kind of is there it's pretty much done so you can hear it yeah um it would have been maybe a little tweaked and polished up but it's it's pretty much there
1: yeah and it's it's up there with sergeant pepper and you know oh, for Smith, sure one of the great late 60s pop masterpieces so i mean yeah it's really great that it that it finally saw the light of day and i agree i mean it was it's basically done so it's like yeah, it's, yeah they just sat on it but yeah but max if you if you hadn't heard any of those other albums um after smile like I mean, Smiley Smile is good. It's kind of a cut down version, but like Friends, you know, Twenty Twenty, and it serves um, up
2: and Friends, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Check check those out. Anybody check those out. So after uh, after well, so uh, interesting. Like after Beach Boys Love You, they recorded an album that I've been trying to get on vinyl for years, and it's like super expensive because they never released it. It's a bootleg, but it's it's called Adult Slash Child, which probably gives you a <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> But it's it's a whole other album recorded right after Beach Boys Love You. And it's pretty rad. I mean, it's it's kind of similar, but a little bit different. There's a little bit of big band stuff on it. So it, it, that's very cool. And then they did a couple, like Mike Love, he was really into transcendental meditation. Actually, he's in Get Back a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he did an he goes album. To India. Yeah, with them, right. And so he did an album that's meditation. And then once the 80s hit, they basically became kind of a novelty. In it. And that's when we all know them from like, they would play after the baseball game and they'd yeah. play the of July, you know, and they just play all the surf hits. So they probably didn't help themselves with their legacy too much doing that. Um, but yeah, it's there. I mean, there's 10 years of just amazing stuff there.
2: Well, awesome find. This is a good one.
1: Yeah, It's,
2: it's really, it's a, it's a weird one. I'm I'm glad to know about it. I feel like I got to, I got to like, as you said at the beginning, it's something that grows on you. And I think, got to spin it some more times and I'm curious to know what I'll discover <laughs> in this rather strange record
1: yeah all right cool well always happy to spread the gospel of the Beach Boys man
0: the Fly. Thanks for listening to Music Defender, produced by OnLock Productions, all rights reserved. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and subscribe or follow on all your favorite podcast channels.